0: I mean, what do you have to do with your comics now?
1: Oh, I don't know. I've gotten a bunch in. i got to put them into the boxes, and I've got others that I've not put into boxes. And I don't know. I'm just sitting here looking. It's like, I got a lot of books. <laughs> yes.
0: Pam is always on to me. She's like, you're, you're forever rearranging those comics. And my response is, And your point? is?
2: Mm, it's not
1: so much rearranging as opposed to it's like archiving.
0: Well, I don't rearrange mine all that much. Sometimes I'll move things from box to box. Now, recently, yes, I am kind of redoing everything. Oh, you are? Yes.
1: And what pretail brought that on?
0: I just needed to. It was starting to get a little disheveled and not really... I mean, I knew where everything is. I can Put my hand to it, but it's like uh, this is not quite aesthetically pleasing arrangement. So
1: true. And you know what? I used to go back and reread my books, but you know I don't really do that anymore. So I'm kind of like, now my OCD won't let me do it. But I'm like, do I really need to put them in order if I'm not if I don't need to really go back and find them to read them? Yes, you do. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I say I I really don't need to because. Number one, I don't have near what you have, but I go to a box and within you know just a few seconds I can tell you what's in what section. And I don't have the dividers, labeled dividers in there. So I can you know approximate, okay, this area right here in this two or three inches is probably you know the saga of Razal Ghul.
1: Hmm. Well I noticed Mike Myers had some recent tweets where he was going on about rails or something in the boxes he uses. No, I, I didn't. I didn't. I was at work or something. And I saw it, and so I didn't put the sound on. So I'm in. I guess I'm intrigued by whatever rails are. I,
0: I guess. know that one one of the brands of those drawer boxes has those.
1: You see, I got some drawer boxes. That's what I got on the very bottom, so I don't have to dig all the way down. My bottom ones have that in it. That's where all my X Men and X stuff is, so so I have easy access.
0: But I know I know B C W does a drawer box, but they don't have the rail system. It's whoever the other big manufacturer is.
1: I think it's just called uh, drawer boxes. In fact. Well, yeah, that's what I got on the bottom of mine. It's called drawer boxes. I think that's the group that does sell the
0: railing system. Or you can put dividers in. But.
1: Well, you see, when I bought my drawer boxes, they were already assembled, so. Right. Maybe that was something he was assembling, and I didn't know. It. Maybe I've got that in there. I just never knew it. I don't know. Hmm, interesting.
0: You would have some kind of dividers, I would think, with it.
1: Ooh, yeah, no, it's not got dividers in it. Do you know the only thing I got about, against drawer boxes is that la- you can't pull it all the way out, so you have that last, I don't know, If you if you pack a long box. A drawer box full. Right. You can't. Re- you can't really get to those back ten or twenty comics without pulling out something in the front, so you can pull it forward and get them out.
0: That's true. Hmm. Plus, if they're not sitting on the floor, or the ground level, you have to be very careful to hold it up because the weight—it won't support the weight if you just start pulling it out. You know, it'll fall out of the box. But I don't have any of those as of yet
1: oh I was going to convert all to them the problem is they're a little bit wider so I couldn't get as many as the regular long box on my pallets as I could those plus they're way more expensive right and I guess they don't hold as much I don't know I think they may
0: hold pretty close but probably a little bit less
2: yeah
0: I was wanting to convert to those BCW plastic bins those black plastic bins they have
1: yeah, I just don't think those hold up well enough. They,
0: the one thing I've seen about them, in my complaint is that yeah, they they snap together, and they got little you know, like dovetail joints, but they if you pull on it hard enough, those will come apart unless you decide to glue them, which I don't know why you would because that part of the convenience of them is that they can be disassembled and flattened down real easy if you wanted if you wanted to. So.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Plus, they're damned expensive. I mean, 25, 30 bucks for the short box. I don't know what it is for the long box. And you have 40 boxes, so $35 times 40. Yeah, that would be a nice chunk of change.
1: That adds up a little bit. Yes. So, anyway, what else you got going on in the world of comics?
0: Oh, Oh, did you get the homage cover for Vault Heist number one?
1: Uh, which one? I saw a store one, and then I saw, wasn't there another one? What was it? I saw the one which is based on Eternals number one.
0: No, that's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about the really good one. The one that's based on Love and Rocket's number one.
1: Oh, I think I put in an order for it, but I haven't gotten it yet. right. I got two of them, yes. Oh, you did? Oh, of course you did.
0: It's my favorite new homage cover. They did a really good job with it.
1: Yeah, you know, I was looking, I was reading some stuff here the past couple of weekends about comic properties that haven't gotten picked up, that haven't appreciated in price, that might appreciate in price when there's some announcement about them. And Loving Rockets is one of them. So I may need to go find a couple of issue one. There's two different issue ones, aren't there? I may need to go get those yes. before they get too uh, uh, out of reach price-wise.
0: Yes, there's the first number one issue, which is their self-published that they
1: did. That's the black and white
0: one, right? That's the black and white one, and that's the rare and expensive one, or the cool. most expensive one. And then there's the first one they did when they were picked up by Fanta Graphics. They just reissued the first issue under their imprint.
1: And which one is it you have? I've got both. <laughs> oh, of course.
0: <laughs> yes, I've got one. The The first one. The original one I've got it, it's slabbed and it's marked as uh, manufacturer's error because it's not stapled. So and it is signed on the inside. It's it says it on the the banner. So I know I haven't of course seen it because it's slabbed. But
1: uh yeah. So I've gotten a few Daredevil where after I bought them I found where Frank Miller had signed them on the inside. So I guess back in the day writers and artists. Well I guess it was the writer they signed the inside front page. Right. And, uh, and I don't know if artists did or not. I mean, if you're getting the artist, I guess if he's the cover artist, wouldn't you want him to sign your work? Or they, I wonder if they had them sign on the inside. But anyway, but then once you got to where you could slab books, you couldn't see that. So I guess it made sense to move all the signatures to the covers. So. But, yeah, I'm trying to remember what the others were. It was like Love and Rockets. Because I think they were picking up on, like, Bone. I said, Bone had gotten picked up to be an animated, so I think they are talking about Love and Rockets. I don't know if they mentioned ElfQuest or not. But there was that. Um, I'd have to go look again, but Love and Rockets kind of... It's like, hmm. Hmm. I may have to see what those are currently going for and find one.
0: It depends. I mean, some of them are... The Volume 1s you can get fairly inexpensively. Now. Now, right now, yeah. Why don't they
1: have to decide to make a movie out of it? Could they make a movie out of it?
0: Uh, I don't know. I would think after 35 years they were going to, they would have by now.
1: Mm-hmm. Hollywood can't – they can't think of anything new to do, so they're just going to use comic books because they've already got storyboards made. But would it be better as a movie or as an animated something? Because they can do a lot of stuff with CGI now.
0: Right. I can't see it as a live action
1: can you not? It's hard for me to
0: see this animated even too. <laughs> but yeah, that would be if they did decide to do something like that. Of course, they're they're getting older. They're Jaime is, I think, my age or a little bit more, a little bit older. So you know, if something happens, as life does, money passes yep. on. I'm sure they then, yeah, mm, yeah.
1: So anyway, I guess we'll see. But I. I'm debating. I picked. I was on the lookout for another Conan number one, and I picked one up. And I'm not quite as happy with it as I was when I saw it on eBay and everything. I think I got a decent price for it, but I don't know. I need to. I'm just not happy with my restored one I've got. So I guess I'll just keep on looking. But anyway, got that, and I don't know. You know what? I've been irritated. You know what? I'm going to get in my soapbox. No, oh, it's not really a soapbox, but. Lately, I've been on some comic options and I've been, you know, I guess people have been using that software where you can snipe stuff because it's like three seconds before the auction's over. All of a sudden, somebody bids it and they win it for one dollar more than what I would have paid for it, which I would have paid two dollars more if I could have got it. But it's like that coming in at three seconds, you can't really do anything. And then that's got to be that sniping software. So I did spend about 10, 15 minutes one night looking into that. And I'm just like, ugh. Because then you gotta like pay for it, and whatever you win, you gotta pay a certain percent and all this other stuff. So I'm like, ugh, it's just not worth it. But yeah, I've been a little ticked off at a few eBay auctions over the past few weeks because of that. Losing by a dollar.
0: Yes, or sometimes (laughs) several hundred dollars, like that happened with that Batman 457 about a year ago. Well,
1: well. Losing by several hundred dollars doesn't bother me as much as losing by a dollar. Especially when I had bid like $27 and somebody at the last second bids 28 and it's like, I had a gun, you know, and, you know, and maybe I should have gone in and raised my highest bid, but I, you know, I've been guilty of this where I sometimes go in and you can kind of guess where somebody's put their bid up and I'll just run it up to just below that. Just, you know, just to run it up. Right now you risk you know they didn't and then you getting it for that price so I never do it beyond what I'm willing to pay but <laughs>
0: well you taught me something and that's to bid odd amounts don't bid like fifty five or sixty or no no even dollar amounts
1: no say you're you're willing to pay two hundred bid like two o three because somebody will come and try two o one and then they'll think oh he's up at two twenty five or two fifty or something like that so yeah you got to do you got to do those odd number bids. Because the human mind wants to go to even numbers or some increment, and I think for what I find a lot is people do twenty-five dollar increments on such. such. So, well, it depends. At first, you'll do five dollar increments, and then it'll jump to ten, then it'll jump to twenty-five, and then it's like fifties or a hundred. So, it all depends on the scale of what you're bidding on. But you want to do that odd thing so they think you're up to the next point on the scale when you're just right above whatever scale they're seeing so you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but i think it gives you a fair share and everything like that so but i don't know i've had some success here with some some ebay stuff some not i got a bunch of uh i think i was talking about it last time i got a bunch of dc well you know i bought a big lot of dc stuff and I thought it was mostly horror, but it ended up being a bunch of like horror and war books. So I got a bunch of Sergeant Rocks and all that from like the early 70s and everything that I got to figure out something to do with.
0: I haven't bought much recently. I bought four of the Marvel Masterwork books.
1: Ooh, yeah. I think you were telling me about that. Did they come in yet?
0: Yeah, they came in. They were still shrink-wrapped. Did
1: you take them out of the shrink wrap? Yeah. Oh, son
0: of a—they're
1: not minty-mint anymore.
0: I wanted to know what edition they were, though. And I looked at them. They're off. It says their first edition.
1: Ooh, that's I got, good.
0: I got them for about 18 bucks a piece. Roughly.
1: That, that is not bad. I don't know. What, the, what was the original MSRP on those?
0: I don't. I can't remember. I have to look. But I don't think taking the shrink off is going <laughs> to degrade the value. As long as I don't tear the dust jacket.
2: Oh,
1: yes. The dust jacket. The bane of the existence of... First edition books.
0: Well, mo- a lot of my stuff, I bought those Brodart covers. Mm-hmm. The ones that they use in the libraries. Yep. Because they're usually archival material. And now I don't tape them to the book like they do in the library. Ah. <laughs> so, mm. and those are relatively yeah. inexpensive. I
2: mean, you can yeah. Get,
0: spend on the side, you can get them for as little as 50, 60 cents a piece. Some of them are a dollar or $2 a piece.
1: Yeah, that reminds me of another auction, and I didn't quite look at the details as I such. So they, I went and I got an auction online. I got a first edition, first American edition of uh, the Silmarillion. So, oh, yeah, and, then, you know, using that technique that you taught me that I didn't realize that you got to look in there at the numbers counting down. Yes. So it's definitely a first edition. Now, the the dust jacket's not that great, but I also have a fourth printing of it where the dust jacket's exactly the same. And it's almost in pristine shape, so I was going to switch that for it and everything. But the problem is, what I didn't look at is the book has a fold-out map in the back, and I have that in my fourth edition. But my first edition I bought does not have the map. So Interesting.
0: Did it come with uh, caffeine tablets to keep you awake while you're reading it?
1: Oh, come now, <laughs> come now.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, that is the driest book I've ever seen in my life.
1: Well, Other it's not a-, a novel, it's not written like that. It's I written know. like a it's written like a history book. I know, I'm just... But, you know, the only thing is, I look at it and it looks... I can't tell if it had... You know, maybe this is something I need to look up. It doesn't look like the, the map was ever attached, so maybe the first edition didn't come with a map, but I want to think I remember reading that it did.
0: I don't know, I couldn't tell you.
2: So, but anyway, so, yeah.
1: And, you know, I guess most people wouldn't realize that it came with a map, so they wouldn't put it on there. It's like map included or map not included. Right. Probably so, not. So.
0: Yeah, that's what gets me. A lot of these people find this stuff and they don't know what the hell it is. And, you know, so you, you can't trust a description on it or, <laughs> you know, remember what's going to end there or what kind of. And what gets me especially amuses me on the comic books. You'll see somebody goes, well, I'm, I don't know anything about grading, but I would rate this as a very fine. Well if you don't know anything about grading, you can't even begin
2: to. Yep.
1: Just take take a bunch of pictures. Anything I put on there is, I sit there and it's like, hey, I bought it. I read it and I read it once. I put it in a bag and board. Here's the pictures. Let me know if you want any more details. I'll happily send you pictures or anything. It's difficult to grade. It is difficult to grade. I know. I would love to learn how. If it's something you do every day, I see you can do it. Well, you've got what? Don't you have CBCS there in town? You ought to go just talk to them and become a grader. Then I'll send all my books to you. Okay.
0: (laughs) I could do that. I wonder if they would hire and train.
1: I don't know. How do you think you would get into that? Is that like through recommendations? Is people that just show up? I couldn't even begin to guess.
0: Couldn't begin to guess. I could do some research and find out.
1: Put an ad in the paper. I don't know.
0: <laughs> or stand on a street corner with a pasteboard sign. We'll grade comics for food.
1: Ah, <laughs> good stuff. So, anything interesting you saw this uh any this week? Uh one thing specifically. Kind of Ooh, off. Okay. Offbeat. Ooh, offbeat. I like offbeat.
0: Okay. Well, this is kind of goes into my. Of all my interests, I have quite a, it interests me in psychology and the workings of the human brain, fall into that. It helps also having a wife who's a social worker and has been working in the mental health industry for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. But I saw something about people with what used to be called multiple personality disorder. It's now called dissociative identity disorder.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think I've heard of that.
0: You know, it's just multiple personalities. Somebody will change. And it's very controversial diagnosis. Pam says that probably well over half the psychiatrists in the nation really don't believe in it. They think people are just doing elaborate faking. Mm -hmm. But there was one group that has been doing studies using CT and PET scans and other high-res imaging technology. To map people's brain activity as they change into one of these alters, as they're called, alternate personalities. And they've noticed that brainwave patterns do change. And what they did for a test group was hired a group of actors to act out and portray different personalities. And they mapped their brainwaves and they saw no significant change. And the most, uh, the most astonishing example they gave was this one woman who, one of her alternate personalities is blind. And when she was in this altar, the portion of her brain that processes visual stimulation and visual signals mm-hmm. almost shut down. There was almost no activity, electrical activity in that section of the brain. When she came out of that particular alternate personality, Back into one that had had vision. That activity returned to that section of the brain.
1: Hmm, that is interesting.
0: So I thought that's yeah, that's pretty cool. If
1: what about know. like like a method actor? Get yeah? like a uh, like a crap. I can't think of his name now. Joker. Um. Joaquin jo- Phoenix. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix. Or
0: no, or, or uh, he ledger both did it. I
1: mean. Yeah, when they get. It totally like they go in character and they don't come out of character. Like chain, you know, look at their brainwaves before and after. Yes, I don't know if they could do that. So, yeah, you know, I I had a few things that I saw this week that I was interesting that I kind of tacked down. So, um, and it just and one of them does kind of go into the comics. Because, so, I guess there were some researchers. I guess it was MIT or whatever. They transcribed the movie Superman onto a piece of glass. So they got a piece of glass that can withstand, uh, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. And somehow now the movie is encoded into it and through, re, you know, some optics and machine learning, then it can decode and play the movie. And suppose and supposedly this glass can hold, you know, if you do the glass right, it can hold. Uh, oh, I forget. I don't know if they really said how much. They It, it could hold. But then it starts, you know, when you see um yeah, oh well, you know, it was uh it was Microsoft. So yeah, they show it and they're, they're showing it, and it's and the entire movie's like on this piece of glass, it looks like about the palm of your hand. And it was at a conference in at their Microsoft Ignite conference in Orlando. So the glass so the glass contained seventy five point six gigabytes of data plus error redundancy code. So it's seven point five centimeters by seven point five centimeters by two millimeters. Right. So and it looks like it takes up about the whole thing of glass and everything. But but then you can store it. So they're looking about archiving movies and stuff like that. But, you know, when I remember seeing all the old science fiction shows where you have data crystals or I don't know, you you had this future technology where it looks like this, you know, information is stored on these crystals or this or these like on Star Trek. I remember these like little glass plates or something like that. And they would put them in to do everything like that. So. You know, it looks like uh, I don't know. The technology is, you know, mimicking uh, science fiction, which is why I always like reading science fiction because some of the some of the more outlandish stuff actually kind of comes true.
0: Yes, but I read an article one time talked about how absolutely abysmal science fiction has been at predicting the future.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess it it depends on if it's predicting it exactly as it's in there or is it predicting the concept?
0: um, I'm talking about major things. Like, you know, you read – go back and read all the the great science fiction of the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. Not one of them predicted cell phones. None. Um, And you think, well, gosh, that's – you know. The closest thing was the, quote-unquote, communicators on Star Trek. You know, a little we yeah. taking flip it up, um, but that was just one example. But yeah, they are talking. Uh, how many science fiction books still had the Soviet Union existing well into past the year two thousand? And mm-hmm.
1: oh, um, still using atomic power, yeah, power of spacecraft and
0: everything. Just they didn't come out very well. You know, science fiction is not a good good predictor of the future. Plus, and, of course, the mistake everybody made was we assumed after the rapidity of the space race of the 60s of how quickly we went from zero to putting a man on the moon, that we would continue to accelerate at that same rate. And by the year when I was a kid, and this is early 70s, people were saying, yeah, we'll be on, we'll have men on Mars before the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And, of course, know, we're not even close to that
2: because we just, <laughs> you know.
0: Number one, it's but, much more difficult than you think it is, and plus, you know, once the we had made it to the moon, all of the our motivations for that rapid advancement kind of failed.
1: Yep, it did. So, but anyway, I thought that was interesting. That'd be neat. Uh, I'd like to have
0: one of those. Although, although I'd probably come home and find my wife is using it as a coaster or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, but they can. That's the thing. It's so durable, you can. It's just whether or not, to, if you left a stain on it, would that be able to interpret it through the stain? So watermark or whatever, and everything like that. So the other was, and I kind of like the tweet on Twitter, but it was, it's more of an obvious. Nothing, it's nothing new discovery, but it's just you got to sit back and you think about it. So this one astronomer, paleontologist. So I guess this guy was combining archaeology and astronomy. And it was like the sun orbits the galaxy every 220 million years. So they, he made this like little short video clip or whatever about like doing the path of our solar system, like the, uh, how long certain ages were. So where the sun is right now in relation to the galaxy from the last time, it was the start of the Cretaceous period, I think. So the dinosaurs and all that. And so it sits there and it does. So it's got a picture of the galaxy and it arcs through and it shows like how the age of the dinosaurs was about three quarters of this rotation around the galaxy. All right. And then you have like the next, most of 99% of that that quarter, the remaining quarter rotation was the rise of the mammals. And then it says the time humans have been on on Earth and you can like barely see any movement from the solar system to the galaxy there.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: yes. So it was just it was just interesting just to kind of think, yeah, OK, when the sun was at this position in the galaxy the last time was the start of the age of the dinosaurs. And it kind of gives you a scale of, you know, a geological scale, a pre, you know. Along with the astronomical scale. So, yes. I mean, it's something pretty obvious, but it's kind of interesting. Now, of course, the galaxy is also moving, you know, amongst the superclusters and everything. So, it's still not in the physically the same point in the universe, of course. I don't know. Well, uh, you know, that gets you thinking what would be 0. 0.000 in the universe? What would be a reference point? Well, as I understand it, there's not one. Well, if it all started from a singularity, then that has to be at zero, zero, zero. Not from what I've, some of the things I've read.
0: I mean, it may be, but one of the, okay. Like, you know, astronomers look in every direction on the galaxy and the Mm -hmm. universe, everywhere, all directions. Yep. Every galaxy they've ever looked at is moving away from us and we're moving away from it.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Well, if logically then if you're thinking if there's a 0.0 place that something's got to be moving towards it
1: no if it's all expanding out like in a sphere
0: right but not everything's everything... on the same level pl- plane of the sphere though so
1: well you know you, well i guess that's the thing they sit there and they say the they see everything moving outward but if but does that mean like if something's like something's near the milky way is it is it heading in the same direction but parallel with us? So we we assume it's heading away from whatever point we're both heading away from. There might be some semantics there.
0: I don't know. Best I remember is the phenomenon is that the further something away is, the further it appears, faster it appears to be moving away from us. In other words, uh, the, galaxy, the galaxy like Andromeda, which is 2 million light years away, is moving away from us at a certain velocity. But another galaxy that's 50 million light years away is moving at a different velocity.
1: Well, I'm going to have to correct you on that because the Andromeda galaxy is supposed to run into the, run into the Milky Way in about a billion years. Okay. Because there was something earlier this week about, here's what it'll look like when the Andromeda galaxy hits the Milky Way.
0: All right. Well, I stand corrected on that. But I do know, because I remember reading about the, the red shift, which is mm-hmm. how far the light shifts into the red end of the spectrum. And
1: Well, that's from the Doppler effect.
0: From the Doppler effect, right.
1: It blue shift. There are stuff that blue shifts as it heads towards us. Right. So you red shift if you're moving away. You blue shift if you're heading towards us.
0: Correct. But I do remember reading something that generally the further galaxies away are have a farther have a m- more pronounced red shift than things that are closer to us.
2: But
1: mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, on that re- line also, there was some. There was. It's like all the. Like a lot of the stuff, the mathematics and discoveries pr- uh, show that the universe is not op- is not closed. But then there was one bit of information, I think, that came out from the background, the radiation, that would indicate that the universe is closed. So it is like a sphere expanding, but nobody's saying it contradicts all the other stuff. So they're just trying to get, figure out how it fits in there. But I don't know. There's been a lot of astronomy stuff. Oh, and there's supposedly also there's a – if it's not already happened, there's supposed to be – Mercury supposed to be in transit. Sometime soon, and it won't transit again from our position on Earth until 2032 again.
0: Right. Yeah, the local astronomy club here in Dallas is getting ready to do an observation on that. I think it's next week. I think it's this is coming week. I think. It's yeah, soon. 12th. I believe it's the 12th. But it's transiting the sun, so unless you've got the right equipment, you're not going to see it.
1: <laughs> hey, can I use those uh, glasses that I used when I was looking at the eclipse a couple of years ago? Yes, you can, but they're still,
0: it's going to be hard to see.
1: What, Mercury? Come on, it's a planet.
0: I'm telling you. I've, you're still going to be, watch, even if you got its filters on, you're still going to get a, a brightness from the sun. It's going to be, it can be done, but it's not just, not just like looking up and seeing the moon.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I mean, the best thing to do would be have a solar telescope. That way you could have plenty of filtering and enough magnification but yeah, instead of the old pinhole camera that we always did as kids, put, punch pinhole and a piece of paper. And,
1: oh, you got to uh, admit, that uh, is kind of neat, though, that you can do that.
0: Well, that's what I used. I used a variation of that to view that eclipse two years ago. I got one of those paper document tubes, you know, cardboard that's yep. simple, and took the end caps off. And on one side, I put, uh, I glued a piece of white foam core. And the other one, I put, heavy-duty foil, punched the pinhole on that, and then I cut a slot out on the side. Oh,
1: it had to be heavy-duty foil?
0: It didn't have to be, but the more the heavy-duty foil, if you use lighter-weight foil, if you punch that pinhole, sometimes it doesn't get an even hole. It's more oblong than spherical, circular. And that can affect the image. I mean, you might have like a
1: lot. Okay. Bit. I can see that.
0: So I used heavy-duty foil. Um, so yeah, I mean, that that's a perfectly viable type of apparatus.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, all right. So Mercury's going to be in transit. So something to see there. And I guess the only other thing that I kind of read that was interesting this week was they were going back and going back to the original Doom and talking about the... the how it wouldn't have worked if one of the main coders of who I can't remember his name who's famous for it hadn't read a paper on BP trees on, on the how to do the 3D part in it because up until that time... It's like the, the one previous to that had been Wolfenstein, Castle Wolfenstein, which had gotten reissued. So I remember when all this came out. But it was since it was like set in corridors at right angles, you could basically it was like how do you draw a 3D environment and an objects moving in it at the computational at, at the CPU limitations that you had at the time. So it was easy when everything was at right angles and you could figure it out and all that. But then in Doom, they wanted to have like objects and stuff at angles and partial rooms and things like that. So it was kind of getting to where the CPUs couldn't handle it or the ones that you know people would have at home. So there was this paper on BP trees. And I forget what the BP stands for. But, you know, I ran through the paper. Well, not through the paper, through the description of it. And it was like, yep, that's pretty neat. And basically what it would allow you to do is you built a tree. Basically, you'd build a tree of a room of what objects were in front of it other objects. And then you, you would, you'd have a point and then it could figure out what was in front of the others based on this tree. And so whenever you entered a room, so what, what would happen is then you could have, you could sit there and then the, when it would upload a level, you could have all, you'd already have all the calculations run for each section of the level. So that the only thing it had to figure out is where you were at in that section. And then it could use the trees and then figure out what to show you what was in front of others and if and if one of the creatures or the demons moved or whatever, how it would fit within this tree. And so that allowed, you know, Doom to come out, run at the fast pace it did and have, you know, the the effects that it did at the time, which, you know, nobody else could have done. All because this guy had read a research paper and just decided to implement it as opposed to talking to his boss and doing stuff like that. And then you have Doom, which Man, I love Doom. And then I loved Quake. Boy, those are some awesome games back in the day. So I actually am curious what BP trees are. What was that now? BP What's that stand tree. for? BP trees, Doom. I'm
0: pretty sure it's not British Petroleum.
1: Oh, I type it in, I get some kind of Tulsa tree removal. <laughs> I'm like, what the what? No, no. Well, son of a. Now I'm trying to think where was I reading this? BP tree games do, 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 ninja trees, what? Wow. Now I'm hmm. trees of doom online. Nope. Well my duck duck go skills are just not not are failing me at this at this course. The B, oh no, it's saying BSP tree algorithm. Okay. Oh, maybe, it's, maybe it's BSP. Oh, then there's a tutorial. Okay. Binary, that's it. Binary space partitioning. Ah, okay. In 1993. So that's it. So it's not BP trees. It's BSP trees. Binary space partitioning. That makes
0: sense. Uh,
1: yeah. So it saw sol- it solved the VSD problem, which was what is the VSD problem? They don't say what VSD stands for. Visible polygon no. Visible surface determination. So you've got a three yeah, you're trying to do a three D game and you gotta do the visible surface determination. What surfaces are visible from this point? What are but what's blocking the other? So apparently binary space partitioning. So basically, you'd pick a point in the room, and it's like this is in front of this space, and this is behind that space, and that's the binary—either in front or behind. And so for each section of the room, you—you you know, things have a value of either in front or behind. And then, and so with using those values loading those values up, then you could do a 3D game. A lot you could do it with the engine. Never before been used in a video game up to that time, and it dramatically sped up the Doom engine. And then everybody else copied them. Right. So, I just remember playing Doom. I never did. I never made much games. Certainly not video games. What? Well, I did used to back in the day. I mean, my all-time favorite's always been Civ, and I've actually got Civ six, and I see where there's some DLCs that, but I really haven't played Civ six in about over a year. Or so, but I've always played Civ from the original Civ up until the current one. Now, there are, I just I don't know video
0: games I'd lose interest in about ten fifteen minutes.
1: No, maybe you just haven't played the right game.
0: Uh, okay, well, there's one exception that I game I stayed with, and that was Leisure Suit Larry in the Land of, land of the Lounge Lizards back in the '80s.
1: <laughs> Text-based game. You mean like Zork? Yeah. Ooh, that reminds me. I brought up my Commodore, well, my Commodore 128. I still wish I had my 64, but I brought my 128 from my parents last time I was down there, and I got it here with my monitor and my 8, 4, 1541 disk drives and everything. And I need to, been wanting to put them together and fire them up and see if they still work. <laughs> now, here's a question for you. So I think you sent me a, it was either in Discord or Twitter or something. You'd sent me something about, um, uh, You're going to buy a slab game, or something about a slab game, and it was a Nintendo cartridge. Right. Well, do they slab old, like, five-and-a-quarter-inch disc games from, like, 64s or PCs or stuff back in the day, before there were consoles? Well, you know, I guess they did have Atari 2600s. I know they slab those. I couldn't tell you. But what about PC games? Still in the shrink wrap.
0: I just, I don't see... I guess I can. I'm I'm trying to see the reason you'd want to slab
1: that Mm -hmm. for display. I guess I I kind of, I kind of see it, and I kind of don't for cartridges. Like you know, I mean, the big ones. is like I think the the one I always see that they're showing off is like a Super Mario Brothers three gold cartridge. I can kind of see that, but I mean, well, yeah. Well, you know, I sit there and say, well, you can't play it because it's slabbed. Well, people slab comics, so you can't read a comic when it's slabbed. So what's the point in that? So. Well,
0: that was my joke. A whole, the reason I sent that to you was a whole joke. It was like, well, how are you going to play this? But I mean, just number one, you're talking about media that's not as volatile and susceptible to aging as paper is. So I'm like, okay, yeah, if you're slabbing it for display purposes, but I mean, how is it adding any more protection to it, I guess, other than keeping somebody from picking it up and going, hey, what is this, and breaking it in half or something. Well,
1: well I don't know. If you've saved your game on there, then nobody's going to erase it. Uh, that's right. <laughs> Permanently saved.
0: George Casanza did with the Frogger game on
1: Seinfeld. <laughs> See, I remember playing Frogger in the arcade. You know, it's like, that's the thing. I remember playing those games in the arcade that now people would say, this is so simple. Why would you play it? Like Pac-Man. Pac-Man would probably like bore the hell out of Kids nowadays, long with like Space Invaders and stuff like that, right? Oh, yeah. Back in the day when you had to use your imagination with arcade games. Yep.
0: Galaga, Donkey Kong.
1: Oh, I love Galaga. Or is it Galaga?
0: gal I don't know. I
1: always said Galaga, but. Is that, you know, is that like that? Is it Caribbean or Caribbean? Yes, it is.
0: Yeah, those games back when they're, you know, looking at them. Well, that's flat, two dimensional. what's good is that? Well, that's what it was.
1: Well, yeah, true. I don't know. I mean, the perfect thing for slabbing still is like cards, either sports cards or other cards, because you have a front, you have a back. When right. you slab it, they're still as useful in slabbed form as they are if they're not slabbed form. Right. So I guess that means we need to switch over to collecting cards. You go ahead. You go first. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at some of my old magic cards the other day. Magic cards, yeah, from Magic to Gathering. Okay, so
0: not familiar with that, but
1: and it's just a game. It came out in '93, and it's like the first two sets, the Alpha and the Beta, are really expensive. And then they came out with Unlimited, and then the expansion sets. So I've got a few Unlimited cards. I've got quite a few Revised, which is the fourth release. Don't have it. I'm. I think back in the I might have an alpha, or a, I might have a beta, or something, but just a common, so it's not worth anything. What I was looking at is I got some. Um, I was going through some stuff and forgot that I had them, but I got some uh, from the first expansion. I got some Arabian Nights and Legends, and I forget what else. So just looking at them, it's like feeling, you know, going down nostalgic memory lane a bit. It's kind of like, hmm, okay, yeah, and then it was like '93, '94, so. 25 years ago. Interesting. So, yeah, remember my first rare, the first rare I ever got was an Armageddon. Destroy all lands. Well, actually, it destroyed everything. Lands, creatures, artifacts, just blew everything up. I think. Interesting. So... No, it was fun, but then it got to the point where it's like you had to buy cards. You know, like you couldn't use. See, I played it up to the point where you could use any cards you ever bought, and then they got to where it's like, well, you know, you can only use cards from the last three sets that you bought. Oh, and we're we'll gonna be coming out with new sets every three months. So, mm.
0: so what else do you collect, or have you collected over the period of your existence?
1: Mmm, stamps. I still have my stamp collection from back in the day. It's more of a, that was more of a grandfather activity. So I got stamps, I got comics, I do have some sports cards, football, which never done well, but I just loved football so much, still do, but got football cards, got some basketball cards, mostly, yeah. Then I got magic. And then I got a, I got a pretty, I got a decent wine collection. It's all right problem is you just something you can't keep you gotta drink it i was gonna say it's not much of a collection and from that standpoint all my whites probably gone bad but i got some great reds i need to drink uh and i got my whiskey collection which doesn't go bad no (laughs) but that's the thing it's like you get it to collect it but then if you don't drink it what's the point see i don't i can't i don't see that as a collection so i mean well i mean i've got some and you know i'll eventually drink them but then it's almost like well i want to wait until there's a um a special occasion to drink it as opposed to just drink it. So,
0: well, as you get older, just getting up in the morning is a special occasion. So,
1: Hey, there you go. So yeah, I've got a whiskey collection. I got a wine collection, comics. Uh, I got a small four issue pulp collection. I do have some other cards from the nineties that I was collecting. Cause about in the nineties, I think it's when they were coming out cards for everything. So, um, Ooh, which is like, yeah, on an auction about two or three weeks ago, they had a box of the 25th anniversary Star Trek uh, cards, which was the cheap. It came out in 91, I think. They were cheap in plastic, but I know in one per box, there was a hologram card. And I remember back in the day when I saw them at at the Quick Stop or something, I bought a couple of them, and one of the first two packs they bought, I got the hologram card. Not realizing what it was, I just put them together and wrapped a rubber band around it. So my hologram card from that, it could be in better shape. So there was two holograms in the first series, one of each of the Enterprises, the new generation, and the original. And then in the second series, the next set of cards, there is a hologram card of Picard and a hologram card of Kirk. Right. So I have multiples of each of the hologram cards, except for that original next generation Enterprise that I got that I've always wanted to get a, a replacement card. But I don't want to buy it online. So what you can do is you can find the boxes at flea markets or whatever for like five or ten bucks, and the cards and the holograms are usually either in the top eight cards or the bottom eight card pack. So blah blah blah. So you just open up the whole thing. The rest of it, you know, you just use for kindling, or whatever. So I, you know, I bought this box for ten bucks, and as you, as you know, I or as you would figure, I sit there and open up, open up the packs, I get my hologram, and it's just, it's not still not the one I want. So I don't know, for about 25 years now, I've been, every time I see these boxes cheap, well, maybe not, they haven't been cheap for 25 years now, but they are now. I'll buy a box for like five or 10 bucks just to get try to get that one hologram, and I still can't get it. Hmm. I have like three or four of these, car, of these holograms of everything but the one I want. But it's still pretty, you know, I still, you know, find those early 90 gimmick cards pretty interesting. I mean, and the holograms are actually pretty good. That's interesting. So, you know, and I got back from that time, you know, I got all the the comics cards that came out at the time. So that was a big time for they were doing that where, um, you know, Marvel and DC would put out the cards with the characters on them. So they had the character artwork on the front and on the back. They'd have have their stats and there'd be a few chase card holograms or something else in there. But it was it was fun getting the cards and getting the stats of all the characters and everything. So I still got a bunch of those somewhere. Right. Um I would say I collect books also, but I've started we've started paring down the paperbacks. I don't have my wife though collects first edition children's books on horses. She probably has three or four Black Beauty first editions.
0: Boy, that is a narrow focus right there. <laughs> first edition books on horses. That's kind of a <laughs> Hey, gotta have a hobby. I it works. I'm I I'm, I'm impressed, but I'll tell that's just yeah, that's Really getting specific.
2: I mean most people I know
0: that collect books collect first editions and they may have certain ones, but yeah, they're not quite that granular on it. Yeah. As
1: as... Well I wouldn't mind having a first editions of some of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but those books are in the several thousands. Oh uh, yeah. Dollars. So fat chance on that. Right. Well maybe. When the lottery. <laughs> So. Well, well, that's for me, you know, I
0: mean, besides comics, I think most people that are the Discord group know that I have an affinity for fountain pens. I collect some of those that are useful. And yes, I use them.
1: I rotate them around. Yeah, what's the them. point in buying them if you're not going to use them?
0: Uh, some of them. I've, I've got a couple of vintage pens that aren't really working. or I mean, they will work, but I bought them mostly for the nostalgia. Uh Estherbrook pens that were manufactured mostly back in the 40s and 50s that were very common use back then. So I got some of those that I don't use. I mean, some of them need to be refurbished, put a new bladder on them. But yes, I like fountain pens, different writing instruments.
1: Don't you collect hats?
0: I don't know if I'd call it a collection, but I got several, yeah. Fedora, a couple of pork pies, a plantation hat, Couple of what are called stingy brim hats.
1: Stingy brim.
0: Narrow brim.
2: It's oh, okay. Very,
0: very narrow and stuff. You know, like okay, take the fedora, the classic fedora, like Indiana Jones wears. Uh huh. And then you saw the one that I had when I came up to uh, Missouri for Ronnie's wedding. That was some people call it a pork pie, but it also can be called a stingy brim. You can have a fedora style. It's the shape, and it's the shape of the hat that determines whether you call it a fedora or a pork pie or a trilby or a homburg or whatever it is. And I can tell
1: that you're totally glazed over now. Oh uh, no, thing. I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm just fascinated about all this like distinctions of hats. Are hats making a comeback? Oh, uh, they should. I remember back in the day, it was required a dress for a gentleman to have a hat. Yes,
0: I and mean, you wouldn't be seen without one. I mean, the problem is places aren't... If you go strictly by what's considered convention and good manners, is you take your hat off when you go into an establishment, restaurant, yep. place like that. But yes. You always had places something to do with them back in the 50s. You either had a hat check or there was a place to hang your hat or something. Well, you don't have those anymore, so if you go in some place, you either got to just hold it in your lap, or if you got an extra chair at the table, put it there. So <laughs> um, the the structure, the infrastructure, would have to come back for hats to make a true comeback.
1: Oh, is that like once they got rid of horses, they got rid of all the hitching posts? Yeah. Sort so of now, like if you want to if you want to ride horses now, you'd have to, they'd have to reinstall the hitching post.
0: I suppose so. Yeah.
1: There you go. Ooh, and I also say I do have a decent collection, I think, of movie posters also.
0: That's right. We've talked about that in a little bit.
1: So I don't know. I tend to jump into stuff and then start collecting things on it. Now I and you know, and then I've also got several uh I've been trying to do some old school Dungeons and Dragons books and modules. I want to get all the Dragonlance modules. I only like one, but I wonder if they would like slab module, old D and D modules. I don't know, but I got you know several of the original of the. Well, I need the white books, which were the original original. Um. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons books, but I have the next edition. I have all the ones from the next editions that came out. Because those are the classic ones with that artwork that I remember, and then they had, then they had like in the 80s where they redid and did more professional artwork on them. So I've got those, and then out came second edition. I've got a few of those, and beyond that I don't have them. But I also like to get the role playing books for like I have the, uh, let me see, I have the Babylon 5 role playing game book because, you know, if I've got, you know, favorite TV shows or something like that. And what you'll do is you'll have fans or something. They'll make the role playing books, and what's nice about those is they'll they'll have like some of the history, and they'll consolidate some of the stuff on them, which makes for interesting reading. So I'm looking here. So I got the Babylon Five role playing game. I've got the Robotech one. I've got four books of that. Uh, I've got the Wheel of Time role playing game book. Which is utterly fascinating, which I think Netflix is making into a TV show or something. That or – is it Netflix or is it Amazon? So that was a freaking series that ended up being like 14 books that over like 15, 20 years. Whew, and then the author died before it was finished, so somebody had to finish the last three books from his notes. Well, and,
0: isn't that what they had to do with Cimmerillion? then not they
1: have to – uh, no, died? he released. No, no. he. Re, I think Silmarillion got released right before his death. It was the Book of Lost Tales and then the Histories of Middle-Earth. And then Christopher Tolkien, he released over the past five years The Children of Huron, Baron and Luthien, and The Fall of Gondolin all were from his father's notes that he re-released. Oh,
0: okay. I knew there was something. I couldn't
1: remember what it was. Yeah. And then, uh, let's see, I got The the World of Shannara. So those, which. I was reading something not too long ago about, like, the Sword of Shannara is supposed to be considered a direct ripoff of the Lord of the Rings. But I didn't read that one first. I read the the Elfstones of Shannara first, so. Which is not, you know, quite like that, but. All right. Anywho, so. There we go. So, I like getting, I like getting books like that. And at one point, I was thinking about getting into like pinups and such, forties, fifties pinups. But I would man, love that. Yeah, but what do you collect though on that? Do you collect calendars? Do you do ink blotters? I mean, there's so much stuff out there from back in the day. It's this like, what aspect of it do you focus on?
0: Oh, I forgot. I do have some ink blotters. Yes, and I've got several that are pinups. Uh, well, man, trying to get the uh, the original art for those is beyond most no. people's
1: financial but that's art i mind. can understand art you know that's what my wife would love to get into if us if we were buying like art so
0: but i've got several ink blotters um i like those some of my I, I buy old ones that are not that are all beat up that i use actually for with or for because with fountain pens you often have to blot your ink
1: well, that would be uh, that would make sense that you would be collecting ink blotters to go with ink pens.
0: Yes, but um, some of them are, are nicer. I wouldn't use them for those. Go. It really depends on what they are. I mean, I've got some that have uh, Gil Elvgren's pinups on them.
1: Ah, Elvgren's. This is what I love his stuff.
0: Yes, very nice. Um, I've not seen any blotters with Vargas on there, and. Of course, usually the blotters will have one side will have the artwork and the rest of it has the the name of the company because they were used as advertising. People would give these out. You know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you'd come into the store and since back in the fifties, forties and fifties, everybody used fountain pens. Everybody was in need of blotter from time to time. So they would businesses would hand these out and it'd have their name and number and, you know, whatever product they are, and then usually some sort of artwork with it. and Which is a sign of the times, because I would love to see a bank today or something, trying to give out something with Gil
1: Elvgren pinups on it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think it would quite fly?
0: Probably not. It would probably, yeah, draw some criticism from somewhere.
1: <laughs>
0: but Back in the 50s, yeah, it was... More or less accepted.
1: That's just how they
0: rolled. Yep.
1: Oh. So what else have we rambled on enough tonight for? Uh, we've speakers?
0: gone nearly an hour, so I don't have anything else really.
1: Oh, is that our specific specified time length? No.
0: I'm just saying we have gone nearly an hour, so we could reasonably stop at this point and have a reasonably linked episode or...
1: Well, there you go. Maybe we ought to save some stuff for later.
0: Yep. There's always something for next week. Very well, then. You've been listening to Best of the Rest. I'm Jay Loving. You can reach me on Twitter, at JayForgets.
1: And I'm Dennis Chandler, and I'm at U-T-E-N-G-R. Or you can tweet the
0: show directly, at B-O-T-R Comics. We will see you next time.